dive into scripture this morning before we continue our series. Let's pray and welcome God in. God, we love you so much. A privilege to be here together and gathering simultaneously with our community in two different places. God, you know, we know that you're with us wherever we are. God, we ask this morning that you would be with us, that you would guide our attention, that you would um, speak to us as we read scripture, as we talk about that scripture. God, I pray that you would guide my words in our time together. God, we also pray for the school environment we're in. God, we pray that you would bring peace here this morning. God, in the midst of the middle of their year, would you give them endurance to face this week and any unique challenges that the teachers face, would you give them peace and courage in the midst of that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you probably noticed there's this table sitting here. So this is my dining room table. I don't really have a dining room, but this is where the, t uh, the table that would be in a dining room if I had one. Uh, this is kind of where life happens in the Larson household. I don't know if you have a place in your house where uh, everything just kind of centers around it, which means that it very quickly gets cluttered and messy. So I sort of brought it as is this morning, and it's quite interesting because as you look at it, it's almost like you're an anthropologist uh, dissecting Krishnan and I's life. Let me just demonstrate that a little bit. Right here we have a stack of tax papers. Is anybody in the middle of this? This is a packet that I got from my tax dude saying, it's about time for you to pay me some money so the IRS doesn't come chasing you down. Not that they would do that. Over here we have uh, Bon Appetit, which tells you my wife is a foodie and she loves to cook. Uh, and this is the cool part of our lives and something I deeply appreciate about her. Sports Illustrated, which if you're a Patriots fan, doesn't look good for you, but shows you my deep love for the NFL and also my deep sorrow that the Packers are no longer playing this year. So maybe Vikings fans can join me in that sorrow. <laughs> also over here we've got uh, truffles mixed with nuts, and I think we mix the nuts with truffles so that it looks like we eat them both equally to hide our sugar addiction, I think. But we just pass by this and grab one of these, and we say it's for our guests, but we consume most of them. Also, I have this platter I've been meaning to give back to Tom Otteson. Is he here today? Here you go, bud. There you are. I, I mean, this is a great place. I knew it would happen. I knew you'd be here. <laughs> yeah, there's no cookies on these. That's exactly. That's the sugar addiction like I was talking about. I don't know about you, you may have a place like this in your home that gets cluttered pretty quickly with the things that are going on in life and represents maybe what's happening in your life right now. But have you ever noticed how maybe when you invite a guest over or invite someone into your life or in your home, there's this quick scramble to put everything back into places and move the table and clean it off? We do that all the time. And it makes me wonder, why do, why do we have that impulse clean up our lives, if you will, or to unclutter our lives. And as we've been talking about relationships and renewing relationships, I, I kind of want to pose the same question because it feels like when it comes to relationships, we have the same reaction. We feel like we have to get everything tidy. We have to get everything in order before we can really welcome people into our lives. We feel like there's some work that needs to be done first before we really can enter into the process of renewing relationships. 
And I kind of want to just ask this morning, is that the way it ought to be? Is that the way that we ought to approach relationships in when we're talking about renewing relationships? I want that question to kind of ruminate as we look at scripture this morning. We've been looking at Romans 12 in this scripture pa- or, or in this sermon series. And in your bulletin, I have Romans 12 on this handout. If you want to pull it out, we'll read through that together in a moment. And as we've been studying Romans, it's been sort of exciting for me. One of the last classes I took in seminary last year was a class on Romans. It wasn't all that exciting in and of itself because the professor was super boring. It was a distance class, so I had to watch lectures online. And he had this weird, like, idiosyncrasy where he would lick his lips, like, every five seconds. And I wasn't in a classroom where I could, like, stop and confront him about it. I just had to watch the videos. So despite his idiosyncrasies, I did learn some stuff from that, and it was exciting. And one of the most interesting things about the book of Romans, I think, is the context that surrounds its first delivery. So Romans is a letter written by Paul to a specific people in a specific place. And what's really interesting is we know a little bit about how that letter might have been delivered. If you look at the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 16, it says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in uh, a Greek town I can't pronounce. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in the way in the way worthy of the Lord and his people and give her any help she needs. She has been a benefactor of m- many people, including me. Now we might gloss over that, but a lot of scholars think this is evidence that the that Phoebe is the very person who's delivering this letter to the church. And this is important because in the ancient world, when you delivered a letter, it wasn't like the post op- uh, uh, the, the postman and postwoman showing up at your door and dropping a letter in your mailbox. This was a big deal. Letters were very rare. They were expensive to write on, the things they wrote on them. And also the Greek language is a little clunky. So as it was written down, it wasn't just like, it didn't flow smoothly like a letter that you would write to a friend. So oftentimes they would bring uh, a a letter carrier along to do a little interpreting or expressing. And it was often someone who was close to the author themselves, who would sit down and be able to express the intent of the author beyond the words that were written down there. So when this letter would have come to Rome, to this church, everybody would have gotten really excited and probably whoever was one of the leaders of the church or basically who just had a big enough house to fit all the people in the Roman church there would call everybody over and they they would say there's this woman phoebe in town she's got a letter from paul they would have sat down and probably a much larger table than this or crammed in a living room probably would have been much like going to a missional community where there isn't quite enough space for everybody to sit but it's still all right and they would have sat down and they would have read through this long letter and phoebe would have guided them through the letter and filled in the gaps if you will or put Uh, put it into their own context they would have asked questions of her and she would have been able to communicate some of the intent in paul of paul possibly and i just love that because uh, a few weeks ago michael introduced uh this expression of romans 12 the message which is a version that you can find most anywhere you're looking for a version of the bible and this is almost a way of doing that this is a a written uh, or expressed by an author named eugene peterson who sort of put it in the the vernacular of our own time. So I thought a way of approaching this scripture this morning that's been shaping our conversation about relationships was to sort of uh, 
enact what this might have been like to sit down with this letter and have someone, a guide in our own tongue, in our own language, and express the intent uh, in our own context of what Paul might have been saying here. And so what I encourage you to do, the reason I printed this out, is take a pen as I'm reading through this. If something catches your attention, underline, actively listen to this text this morning. So I'm going to sit down and let's read through this. And I want you to pay attention to what comes to your attention. It says this, it reads like this. So here's what I want you to do. God help me. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The, the only accurate way of to understand ourselves is by what God is and what and by what he does for us not by what we are and what we do for him in this way we are like various parts of a human body each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole not the other way around the body we're talking about is Christ's body of cho- chosen people each of us finds our meaning and function as parts of his body But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned fashioned into excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let us go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help and don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get too bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eye open and, and be quick to respond. If, you're, if you work with the disadvantaged, don't let, don't, get, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing the second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of your master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, play all the harder, or pray all the harder. 
help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, smell cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy, share tears when they're down. Get along with each other and don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobody and don't be a great somebody. Don't hit back, discover the beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if we see your if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with good news. Don't let evil get the best get the best of evil by being greedy. It's a rich chapter in scripture for me. It's taken us basically a whole month to unpack or just scratch the surface of some of the things in there. You can imagine Phoebe, uh, when she first greets this uh, letter to the people there, elaborating maybe for hours, maybe for days, maybe for months on the intention of Paul and what this means for their community. What I want to zoom in today on is this little phrase found right in the middle. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, be inventive in hospitality. Other versions say, practice hospitality. That little phrase is so intriguing to me. The Greek word uh, is philoxena. It's two words mashed together. It's a mashed up word. It's uh, philio and xena. And the word philio is where we get Philadelphia from. So Philadelphia is love of brother or brotherly love. Philoxena is love of strangers or loving strangers. And the word around it, is this word that means to pursue. It's what Eugene Peterson expresses as be inventive, but it's what other translations uh, say is practice. So essentially Paul is saying, pursue loving strangers. Don't you think that's much different than our perception of hospitality today in our world? I think what hospitality most often looks like for us is this idea that we have to entertain, that our table can't be messy that we have to have people over for great meals. When we think of hospitality, we think of the holidays that are exhausting and not very representative of our normal lives, are they? And so in, in search for what this means for us, how we can inhabit this idea of hospitality this, uh, in this scripture, I, I, I sought out uh, the perspective of one of our missional communities that's focused on hospitality, called OO, or Open Heart and Open Home. And I just posed the question, what, what have you guys been learning about what hospitality means? And what do you make of this practice of hospitality? And they had some really awesome things to share. Michelle, who's one of the leaders, uh, shared that it's all about the invitation. She essentially said, it's about inviting others into your life. Hospitality doesn't mean just entertaining. It doesn't mean cooking amazing meals or having a great space for entertaining. It means everyday, ordinary life, inviting people in. It means following Jesus and inviting people to join in with your life. I thought that was a great perspective. Also, Jake and Natalie Ferguson, a part of that group, shared that it's not just inviting others into your life, but it's pursuing others and inviting yourself into their life. Hospitality goes both ways. It's not just passive, come over to my place, but it's pursuing other people in love and in relationship. I just like to think that that's such a great perspective. 
So how I would seek to synthesize their understanding and synthesize what Paul is communicating here is to say hospitality is simply this. Christian hospitality is simply this. Following Jesus, inviting others into your life, and inviting yourself into others' lives. That's way different than what, what our culture sees as hospitality. And how this is different for Christians is that it starts with God. It starts with looking at God and realizing that from the very beginning, God has been a God of hospitality. If you look back to Genesis, Genesis is a story that is at its peak, its most richest moment is him walking through the cool of the day with the people that he's created. He makes time every day in that story to invite Adam and Eve into his life and walk through the cool of the day with them. And then when that relationship is broken, God continues to pursue humanity. He, he, he sots out or seeks out Abraham, a faithful man, and he says, I am going to be your God and I'm going to call you to this new place. He invites himself into Abraham's life in a dynamic way that changes the course of history. Even the little book of Jonah, which is this obscure book, is about God's hospitality in some sense. He picks this prophet, this angsty prophet jo- uh, Jonah out, and he says, you're going to go to your worst enemy, Nineveh, and you're going to tell them that I love them and I want to be in relationship with them. God is inviting himself into a people who are far from him, and he's asking Jonah to participate. And Jonah, if you remember the story, is super resistant the whole time, even up until the end of it. But he can't resist participating in what God is doing. And what God is doing is inviting himself into the lives of the people that he loves. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and it's painstakingly clear that God is a hospitable God. It starts with Jesus, who is God himself, moving into the neighborhood, as it says in John 1, coming down to earth, uh, condescending to be among humans, inviting himself into the lives of the people then and there. And if you look at Jesus' life, it's littered with examples of him inviting others in. The fundamental thing he does in discipleship is say what? He says, follow me. He goes into these fishermen's lives, these ordinary businessmen's lives, and he confronts them and he says, why don't you drop everything and follow me? It's this great, beautiful, wonderful invitation to join him in his journey of listening to the Father and doing what he says. It's just as much Jesus is also inviting himself into other people's houses almost awkwardly every single time. Zacchaeus, others, he invites himself over to their lives. He constantly is pursuing people in relationship. It's, it's embedded in who Jesus is. It's embedded in how he, father, how he follows the Father's leadership. So when Romans comes around, when Paul's talking about what it means to renew relationship, it's no mystery that this is the centerpiece of what he says. This is, the, this is the crux of what it means to be the people of God together, to have this rhythm of life where you're following Jesus, inviting others into your life of following Jesus, and inviting yourself into their life. So, it's clear that hospitality means something different for us as Christians. But why is hospitality so important? First of all, like I just mentioned, it's something that God is doing and is going to do if we're in relationship with him. So those times in which you come in here and you see someone new and, and there's this little subtle voice in you to say, go over and talk to that person. I believe that's God doing something and calling you to participate in his character of hospitality. When you're going home from work or something, you're pulling into your driveway 
or walking uh, your dog in the neighborhood and you see a neighbor you haven't connected with a while, in a while and there's this little heart tug to reconnect with them, maybe invite them over for dinner or invite them to be a part of your life. I believe that's God, the spirit working in your life to call you to participate with what he's doing in the world. And that's inviting himself into the lives of your neighbor. It's essential if we're participating with God here in this community or whatever community we're a part of, to understand that the God we're participating with is a hospitable God, a God who loves strangers, who's always pursuing relationship with people who aren't connected to his love yet. And we got to know what we're getting into. That's what that means for us, that we need to shape our lives around who he is and be open to doing the same thing and inviting others into our lives. Another thing why it's important is because we can't truly discover the beauty of who God is without relationship, without community. You can't follow God alone. I hope if you hear anything out of this whole series, I hope you hear that. You can't follow God alone. You need this rhythm of inviting others into your life, inviting yourself into others' lives, because you learn something different about who God is when you follow that lead from him. And you hear something different, and you learn something new. So how do we actually practice this? How do, how do we practice hospitality, as it says in Romans? How do we be inventive with this? And I thought one interesting way of getting at this would be to just name some of the barriers that stop us from having this sort of lifestyle where we're thinking about how to invite others into our life and how to invite ourselves into others' lives. And the, the first barrier, I have five barriers. The first of them is our life is too messy, like my table here. Often we walk around with this understanding that we, our life isn't in order enough to invite others into it. And I just think that is uh, a lie that the enemy uses to keep us alone, to keep us separate, to keep us alone in the pain that we're feeling, to keep us alone in our mess. But I think we need to overcome that with the truth that it's through hospitality that we overcome some of the things that we might perceive as messy in our lives. It's by letting others in and in inviting ourselves into others' lives that we actually overcome that. So sometimes you use the excuse, life is too messy. And I think we just got to let our uh, hair down, if you will, a little bit and let people in in a vulnerable way to what's going on in our lives, even if we have it in pretty good order. Another excuse or a barrier is that we often say, I don't want to. If we're just honest, sometimes we're tired and we don't want to. And let me let me uh, just sort of take a moment to call uh, men at Mill City out on the carpet, kind of going past my comfort zone as a preacher here, giving you a warning. But I was recently in this, uh, leading this discipleship group, and we had this discussion, and we basically asked, how are you doing in the different dimensions of your relationship? Relationship with God, relationship with the world and mission, and relationship, close relationship with other guys, or close relationship with friends. And there was 12 of us who were doing that, and there was only one person who said that the area they weren't struggling in was close relationships with other men or having close friends. And I think, guys, everybody struggles with this, but us in particular, in our lifetime, or in our lives, we often say, I don't want to, to these sorts of nudges from God that say, invite others in and invite yourself into others' lives. So the other, let me just give you a quick example. The other uh, Sunday, uh, NFC Championship Sunday. I'm a huge football fan. 
and I was feeling a little sour from the week before, and I was just thinking to myself, I just want to watch the games by myself so I can be bitter. And Christian Ann was like, no, let's, let's, let's invite some people over or invite people to go out and uh, watch the games together. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. And I'm also thinking to myself, I'm preaching this thing on hospitality where I'm going to tell everybody that you should invite people into your life. So I'm kind of just sitting there, I don't want to do this, but I just went ahead anyway. And I got to tell you, I didn't watch a, a minute of the game. I was so enthralled in conversation with these folks that I hadn't reconnected with in a while. And it was bold to just kind of put ourselves out there and say, we're going to this place, whoever wants to show up. And the richness of the conversation that happened over that loud table was I, was the best part of my week. And otherwise, I would have just sat with my dog on a couch and watched really sad NFC championship games. And I'm going to tell you, there's moments in our life that are really simple where the enemy or, or circumstances or just fatigue in our life say, you don't want to. And we have to remember the first part of that passage when it says it's really about offering your life as a sacrifice to God. And when we offer that, when we give that sacrifice, we find joy on the other end of that sacrifice, even if we don't want to. A third barrier would be uh, I don't have time. I just don't have time. I've got kids running around the house. They're hard enough to keep them safe. I don't have time to invite people into my life or whatever the the, the time crunch is. And Christian Ann and I, in our, our life together, have really felt this too. And one of the things we've done recently to kind of get at this uh, I, I, I don't have time question is that we've noticed in our schedule, when we're intentional, we do have time. So we noticed that Thursday nights were kind of loose and often would be filled with busy work, uh, just doing the things of life that you need to get done to be an adult. Not that those things aren't important, but we just said, this is a time where we think we can be intentional by welcoming other people in. So we've sort of committed to ourselves, like, we're, we're just going to Thursday night open it up, text people we haven't connected with for a while, or just leave that space for us to do that. And I think for us to really start to practice it, this, we have to make the hard call in our schedule to prioritize hospitality, to prioritize this in our life. Number four, another barrier would be fear of rejection. And I'm sure all of us have an experience in our lives where we face rejection, and I certainly have. And I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, that sometimes that makes me hesitate when there's a challenge in front of me to invite others in, especially the most painful places. And what I want to tell you today is that hospitality is precisely the antidote to the ramifications of rejection. The pain we experience in rejection, the antidote to that is actually hospitality. It's actually to get back on our feet, to put ourselves out there, to let people into our lives we truly care about. There's this lie that circulates in our head that people think way worse about us in our situation than is actually true, that they would never understand, that they'd never be able to get it, that they would judge you. And those are just lies. And it's through hospitality that we actually achieve restoration from rejection. So when we're faced with that fear of rejection, we have to lean in. We have to lean in to invite others into our lives. Number five barrier would be, I don't want to impose. And this would be in relation to inviting ourselves into others' lives. There's this fear that we don't want to be weird and impose in other people's lives. So let me just tell you, uh, again, this is practicing hospitality, so we're not necessarily going to be great at it right away. Let me tell you about a failure that Christian Ann and I have had 
we've gotten to know these neighbors who are directly next to us, Ben and Elizabeth, great people. And we've been trying to practice this way of life in our own life. So uh, around Christmas time in uh, late November, we devised this plan. We're like, this would be great. We'll, we'll invite ourselves into their life in this way. We'll, they got a sweet house. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll offer to co-plan a Christmas party for our neighborhood in their house. It's going to be great. So we had them over for dinner. We pitched them this idea. We were super stoked. We're like, we're doing this thing. We're inviting ourselves into other people's lives. And they were just like, yeah, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> They're like, we don't want to do that. We were just kind of like, okay. And, and it was a complete, like, we were inviting ourselves into others' lives. And it didn't work. It didn't work out for us. It, w- it wasn't the way that they wanted us to, uh, or us to invite ourselves into their life. And we kind of sat back a little bit and just like, what happened here? Like, we know we're supposed to do this, but that obviously didn't work. And then we, we decided that we hadn't really sat down and truly listened to the ways in which they would appreciate being, us being invited into their lives. We hadn't truly listened to what was going on in their life, what they valued. And one of the things that as we reflected on that kept coming up over and over again, Christian Ann noticed that Elizabeth was super into agility training with her dog. So one day, Christian Ann was just like, can I go with Lars, who is our dog, to that agility training? And Elizabeth's face just lit up. She was so excited that Christian Ann would ask to participate in this. So they went, and uh, it was an awesome time. And Christian Ann reflected to me that it was some of the coolest conversations she's had yet with our neighbors. Some of this takes practice. And first of all, it takes listening to the ways in which people would feel loved and affirmed by you inviting yourselves into their lives. So there's some barriers to what it means to practice hospitality, but it's important for us to remember that this is so crucial for our community. I just think of the how many Thursday nights, how many Tuesday nights we've had this inkling in our heart to invite people into our lives or how many times we've been walking the neighborhood or the workplace and thought to ourselves, maybe I should invite that person out to lunch. Hill City Church, God is desiring to have a relationship with the people that he has created. And if we choose to follow him, he's always going to be challenging us to invite others into our lives and invite ourselves into others. And you just need to know that your life may be messy, but your life is worth people being invited into. As you follow Jesus, your life is worth people coming and experiencing your relationship with God in its necessary ways. So I went overboard a little bit as your pastor of associate pastor of training, and I developed this 30-day hospitality challenge. Some of you may look at this and be like, there's no way I'm doing that. That's fine. That's fine. But some of you may be motivated by this. I think it'd be a super simple way start practicing hospitality together. So in the month of February, 30 days here, there's actually 28, but don't be nitpicky with me. Uh, 30-day challenge, try three of these things or be like Eugene Peterson and be inventive in your hospitality and come up with your own. But there's a couple really simple things to try here. Spontaneously invite a friend or a neighbor over. Uh, If you're a family, there's a great one in here. Uh, Have the neighborhood kids over for a meal or a game night. I challenge you guys to try three of these in the next 30 days and just see what happens. See what comes from that sort of experience. If you haven't tried a missional community yet, 
this month is a great uh, chance to do that, and it's a great chance to experience hospitality. I would particularly recommend OO that's focused on hospitality. But I, I recommend this to you guys. It's something to go home with, something tangible to try. We're going to close uh, our sermon time today by taking communion. So I'm going to invite the band up. And we're doing this sort of in solidarity with the people up at the retreat who are also taking communion right now. But also, when we're talking about hospitality, we can't not talk about Jesus. It's quite amazing that Jesus, this guy who came and invited himself into our lives, in the last few nights that he was with his disciples before his death, did something quite miraculous, something quite amazing. Right after telling them that they're no longer disciples, that they're his friends, he's reclining at a table probably a little bit shorter than this because they reclined at his table. And he was with them, and he pulled out a glass of wine and some bread, and he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the wine, and he passed it around, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And then as they practiced that, and I'm sure it was confusing what he was doing in the moment, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so it's this challenge to us practice hospitality together all the time. It's this reminder that God invited us into life with him, no matter the circumstances of our life, no matter how far or distant we feel like we are from God or how disconnected we are. He's always inviting us into life with him, and the invitation is always there, and it's never rejected. Likewise, he's pursuing us in relationship and as we celebrate communion today, just let it be a tangible reminder that our God is a hospitable God and he challenges us, invites us to pursue hospitality with him.